0: The next kid that creates something is probably going to be a kid that had an automated thermostat or something, and he's always going to be so intrigued by how it works that he's going to go figure it out and create something new. Welcome to the Future of Living podcast. I'm your host, Blake Miller.
1: It also consistently involves work as a thing that you do and not a place that you go.
2: This episode features five standout segments from season one of the Future of Living.
3: Our cities and our communities themselves are the inventory.
2: 21 guests. 21 guests join me for the Season 1 of Future of Living. I'm so honored and humbled that people would take that much time out of their day to spend it with me. We've discussed everything from buildings equipped for the gig economy, to autonomous vehicles, to sleeping in Faraday cages. First up is Luke Norris, the Managing Director of Strategy and Government Relations at Open Cities, a firm that works with governments all over the world building exceptional digital experiences that help citizens productively interact with their local government. In addition to his work with Open Cities, Luke is a Kansas City Housing Authority Commissioner. In this segment, in Episode 7, we got to talking about how affordable housing is often overlooked by the tech world, and how that's not only a disservice to the residents that live there but
0: also to society at large the thing that's important is everyone should uh, you know be able to enjoy the same types of opportunities right and so uh if you think about housing housing is one of the things that creates the most stability in someone's life mm-hmm. more than anything right probably even arguably more it's than healthcare. The, the, whatever the, the
2: case plight be. of the poor and it, it, it's great and i'm I just stop you there for a second because a lot of people don't fully understand like the plight of the poor right oh, like yeah. it makes so much sense like you definitely want to have the roof over your head right. but the problem is if you ask most people that are struggling, car or house, right. a lot of the times they'll actually say, you know, my car, because at least I'll always have a roof over my head. Right. It's just, it, it's this mentality where they're they're like, well, I at least I have my car, at least have a roof over my head. I can get to my job. I can get to all those things, but they don't, sometimes it creates even
0: a deeper hole for them because oh, the yeah. car breaks down or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's fascinating. Right. And I mean, there's always the ongoing expense of, you know, having a car or whatever mm-hmm. the case might be. But, you know, stability is something so important. Affordable so whatever it is, transit, right, right. Yeah. I mean, whatever it is, a roof over someone's head that can give them a safe, warm, dry place to sleep is always going to create better health for them, better access to opportunities, more stability in their lives, especially when you think about kids. I mean, if, again, even if they have the opportunity to live in a house, how that just helps them become more prepared coming to school or having stability where they're always closer to their neighborhood school or whatever the case might be. Um, so it's fascinating. And yeah, absolutely. You have to be more efficient, right? When you're using federal or public dollars to do whatever. But it's also those people that need um, as, as many luxuries and opportunities to enhance their quality of life as possible, where they don't have to worry about. Man- maintaining, you know, their electricity bills or turning on and off the lights or worrying about whether or not they've set the temperature to a temperature that's comfortable, but also saves their energy bills. Those are people that, you know, will benefit from the technology as much as anything. And you're going to create kind of, you know, smarter opportunities for them as well.
2: Right. I, and I look at it where it's like, let's get them connected. Let's give them the, the yep. opportunity right. to at least have a ladder of opportunity, right? Absolutely. Education, it's all right there. Yeah. But if they were working with or living with actual
0: technology too, like they're they're built, it's built in. Yeah. They're yeah. gonna learn more as well. So I think it's it just benefits everyone yeah. to kind of really. Right. Think the about next this. kid that creates something is probably gonna be a kid that had an automated thermostat or something. And he's always gonna be so intrigued by how it works that he's gonna go figure it out and create something new. That's Luke Norris of OpenCities.com. He joined me on episode seven. You can find Luke on Twitter
2: at Norris Luke. Norris is spelled N-O-R-R-I-S. In episode 11, I was joined by Diane Mulcahy. Diane is an MBA professor at Babson College and author of The Gig Economy. She literally wrote a book on it. The Gig Economy is an Amazon bestseller and has been translated to five languages and is frequently featured and referenced on major media networks like CNN, NPR, and the New York Times. In this clip, I asked Diane what sorts of things real estate developers and property owners should be considering in order to best benefit from the growing number of workers in the gig economy and those that are working from home.
1: What we're seeing, particularly if you look at an example like WeWork, is the Mm -hmm. increased melding of working and living. So if you have an apartment building or a condo building, where are the workspaces? You know, is there part of a floor that has uh, desks or cubicles or phone booths for taking calls? And because people are increasingly working remotely, working flexibly, Um, working at all different hours. And so having a place where in the place that they live, they can also work. But it doesn't necessarily have to be in their apartment or in their home. It's just in their building or in their neighborhood. I think um, that can be a way to support this new way of working.
2: You know, you start to think about these buildings, whether it's, you know, the apartment that you're living in or even the place that you might work, like they have like menial maintenance things that need to happen, right? Maybe a light bulb needs to be changed or something like that. You know, you could probably even extend the the gig economy on down to the resident to pick up that, uh, you know, trash or take out trash or something like that, or change the light bulb and earn five bucks, maybe <laughs> off your rent or something like that. You could really start to extend the, that gig economy in so many different ways. Do you see things like that continue to extend? Or do you think the gig economy, you know, goes back to more, you know, bigger bigger project based?
1: I mean, I think the gig economy is incredibly broad and it encompasses everything from on-demand workers who are handy people and, uh, you know, who run errands and, and help with maintenance and things like that, all the way up to people who are working on projects for companies um, or who are advisors or consultants. So it really runs the gamut. It, it, it You know, the gig economy covers all income levels, all education levels, all industries and sectors. It's incredibly broad. Um, but I do think it, it also consistently involves work as a thing that you do and not a place that you go. So for cities, mm. thinking about what does that mean for commercial real estate? If, if the office is no longer the center of people's work lives, what does that mean for our commercial real estate base? in our in our um, city or town. And how do we think about better integrating places that people can work along with places that people can live so that there is more fluidity uh, for people to go from, you know, being in their apartment to being someplace where they can get work done.
2: Diane Mulcahy on Episode 11 of the Future of Living podcast. You can learn more about Diane, her work, The Gig Economy, and how to connect with her on her website, danmulcahy.com. Her last name is spelled M-U-L-C-A-H-Y. That'll be in the show notes as well. Rob Martins is the first person with the title Futurist to join me on The Future of Living. His full title is the Futurist and President at Allegiant Ventures. And Rob joined me on Episode 6 to talk about smart home technology. He's written quite a bit on The Connected Home, and in one post, he wrote, quote, the opportunity to live in tomorrow's American dream is rooted in the information economy where access to data and technology is the currency of success, end quote. In this episode, I asked him to tell me more about what he meant by this statement.
4: I think people might not understand just how hypercritical it is to have things like basic internet access, high-speed internet access. Um, Putting my futurist hat on here and looking out a little bit, um, the way that we work is fundamentally changing. I don't think anybody would deny that. Um, But your ability to work virtually, so in other words, in an augmented reality environment, um, is becoming very tangible and very real. And people used to argue with me about that, and then Pokemon Go came out. and And I would challenge people. I would say, Look in that parking lot out your window right now, and you're going to see grandma and the <laughs> grandson or granddaughter out there doing this. And that is an, a, a real world application of augmented reality happening right now. And so, what it proved to me was it starts to knock down barriers. And as manufacturing changes and as our work changes, um, you know, whether it's um, remotely piloting uh, drones, which we obviously do, you know, for surveillance and a variety of other things is very quickly becoming remotely piloting cars. So there may be a step in between a totally autonomous vehicle and a remotely piloted vehicle. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, or they may be combined in some way, shape or form. And my argument would be, um, when we talk about, you know, these types of things, your ability to have access, um, and to be able to, um, Participate in an augmented reality, whether it's manufacturing or digital office or other things, is going to be key and critical to your ability to um, land that job. You know, as the economy changes and as we move forward, Um, we're not going to have as many people lifting heavy objects, Um, we're going to have automation that will allow us to do that. But I would argue. Um, more some with machine learning, but to a large degree with human interaction in this augmented reality mode. So that's just one simple example. Um, but but as things change, you know, I, I'm sitting at a you know at a large conference table right now, um, speaking with you. But if if I was in a next generation of work, what precludes me from putting my you know VR you know goggles on or my you know Uh, my one goggle over one eye (laughs) and having the virtual dashboard in in front of me um, for controlling a whole series of other um, secure portals and controls. That could be, you know, over manufacturing again. That could be over uh, managing properties. That could be any number of things. And people need to be ready. That's coming.
2: That's futurist and president of Allegiant Ventures, Rob Martins. Allegion is the company that's most famous for making Schlage locks. In that clip, he explained why access to data and technology is the currency of success. You can find Rob on Twitter at Schlage Futurist. Schlage is spelled S-C-H-L-A-G-E. A part of the housing market that's often overlooked is senior living. Joe Kalistra is an architect and principal at InsitU Design, as well as an associate professor in the Department of Architecture at the University of Kansas. He's focused on housing and building technology, and he's currently working on senior housing models that leverage emerging technologies. In this clip, I asked Joe to tell me more about something pretty amazing that he's working on. Talk to us a little bit, uh, specifically the project you guys uh, started working on about 18 months ago, right? Yeah, we have
5: a, we have a prototype at KU uh, that we've built in a warehouse that is fitted with uh, really low cost accelerometers, the kind that you'd find in your phone. Mm. And it's, calip- it's amazing
2: like what the phones have done. Yeah, right. they've, they've just made all this other like kind of third party technology that's come together. Right,
5: yeah. right. And it's calibrated to pick up heel strike. Mm. So basically the vibrations in the floor as you walk across it, what we've learned, I, I don't know much about this as an architect, but working with the KU Med Center, we've learned that a lot of health markers can be analyzed through the heel strike patterns, mm. so what's called gait analysis can tell you patterns about whether you might fall, whether you have dementia, diabetes, even Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Wow. Some of the research they're doing at the Med Center involves a really expensive human performance lab. The difference here is that it's not That's quite KMed, as... K-Med right? Yeah. yeah, it's not quite as accurate, but it's at a fraction of the cost of this lab that we could put sensors in almost every apartment for we're hoping less than $600. That would allow you- Per door? Yeah. 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 So what that would allow you to do then in uh, uh, is remotely monitor uh, a resident who may have some issues falling or limping, Mm -hmm. but more importantly, the potential of looking at the patterns. So if you start to see that someone's limping every time their meds change or every time the humidity is high, Or even uh, something we don't know, like they they tend to meet with their grandkids on Saturdays and then Sundays they limp around all day. Mm. These kind of patterns can help people understand what's going on with their health. Or or maybe their grandkids were all crawling around and and that was like the false positive or something. (laughs) Yeah, Exactly. So that's been really powerful. Um, We've been working with the scientists trying to understand what that could mean for multifamily housing. And the real potential of having this technology in 10,000 units could transform the way we think about public health, organizing neighborhoods. It can even identify things like food deserts yeah. and clusters of, of diseases and things like that.
2: Joe Calistra on episode five of the Future Living podcast. That whole conversation was outstanding. It was difficult to pull just one clip. Joe and his team of students and colleagues are working on some amazing technology, and I highly recommend you give his episode a full listen. The best place to catch Joe online is at isdarchitecture.com, and you can find that link to his LinkedIn profile as well in the show notes. There's been a lot of talk about how on-demand services like Postmates, TaskRabbit, Grubhub, and the like are all contributing to the death of retail. Vignesh Ganapathy is a senior government relations lead at Postmates, and he joined me on episode thirteen. I brought up this theory with him. I'm guilty. I order Postmates, you know, more more times than I'd rather uh, probably admit. But uh, you know, some people I've I've heard that companies like Postmates or Grubhub or whoever it might be are you know contributing to the killing of retail. Um, and you know, I have a hard time, at least in my own experience agreeing with that because I actually feel like it gets me better connected because I'm lazy when I get finally at home. It gets to actually better connected to my community. How do you guys think about that internally? And what are the things that you're doing to kind of change that per- maybe, maybe media perception?
3: <laughs> you know, um, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. Um, and, you know, I, th- I think we have internally here at Postmates as well. Um, it seems like, online we're starting to see this this reiteration of something that we saw in most cities over over the 20th century you know throughout through the end of the 20th century you saw a lot of traditional brick and mortar retail get replaced by big box stores you know walmart would come in and eviscerate a town and suddenly you know you had much more available in a single shopping experience but at the same time you were able to lose the charm and sort of the the interesting products that folks in your community were already making. Um, And now, as we're starting to move um, to online retail, we're seeing like that trend sort of replicate itself. So, you know, we're moving into a world in which most, you know, three out of every four online purchases happens through Amazon. You know, Um, it's not nearly that much, but it's but it's but it's close.
2: It feels like it probably.
3: <laughs> yeah, and you know, yeah. and and that is a vision in which we have the big box store of the future. Um, you know, here at Postman's, we, we think a lot about how the, our cities and our communities themselves are the inventory. We have a lot of brick and mortar retailers, mom and pop shops that haven't been able to access the same sort of supply chain that Amazon has. So being able to offer that service to our merchants is paramount. Um, and through that, we've been able to increase merchant reach across the country. So we've seen an average of 3.7 times their market growth within, within most, uh, cities across the, across the country. And in some of our larger markets like San Francisco or LA, we've seen a 10 times growth. So, um, you know, for many of those businesses, they've had to completely reframe the way in which they're, do, they're doing retail.
2: That's Vignesh Ganapathy, or Viggy, as his friends call him, talking about how services like Postmates aren't killing retail, but rather helping them adapt to new market trends. Again, Viggy is senior government relations lead at Postmates, and he joined me on episode 13. Find him on Twitter at B-I-G-N-E-S-H-R-4-M. That's at VigneshR4M. There's also a link to his LinkedIn profile in the show notes. Season one of the Future of Living has been such a great experience, and I really hope you've enjoyed listening to it as much as me and the team have enjoyed making it. I'm sincerely grateful to each guest that joined me. I can't believe you've taken so much time, all 21 of you. And thank you to the listening and sharing the podcast with your friends and colleagues as well. Listen to more of this and other conversations at futureoflivingpodcast.com. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram, too, at Future Pod. And if you like this conversation or the podcast in general, good rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts definitely helps us out. It also helps others find us too. Future of Living Podcast is produced by Eric Hurst of MediaClub.us. Research and management by Laura Gote of Homebase.ai. That's it for season one. Season two starts next week.